Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right. This week on the Righteous Remnant podcast, I have a couple of good friends of mine. First of all, I have Julie Tanaka. She is a, we're former classmates at Berkeley. Um, we went to Berkeley together. She was a great influence on me. Um, in fact, Julie, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I think we were at an InterVarsity conference. And after one of the sessions, I was just like trying to worship a little bit on my own. And then you came up at, you came up and started talking to me. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> what did so, I say? So um, I think it was you and, and maybe Christina. Um, okay. But you guys came up to me and then we just worshiped together for a while oh. after one of the sessions at, you know, one of those university conferences when I was a freshman. And then afterwards we talked a bit and they're like, oh, you're really gifted, um, you know, at worship. And I was like, oh, thanks for being nice, but I don't think I'm really gifted in this area. And um, basically you spent, a good 20, 30 minutes trying to convince me that I actually was gifted <laughs> in that area. And that was actually really important to me because it helped, it helped break down like a, a stronghold, you know, oh, in, wow. in my life. Yeah. So I always remember that, you know, uh-huh. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, a remarkable conversation for you, but it was a good one for me. And, and, um, and Julie, you were such a great influence on me as, you know, a freshman. I think you were either a junior, you were a junior when I was a freshman, right? I was a senior. You're a senior. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. yeah, you're older, but you really welcomed me. And I remember I felt like we almost died in San Francisco. Oh yeah. <laughs> Many times, right? Yeah. Because of my driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Julie is not the the most confident driver in the entire world. <laughs> I've gotten better. I don't I go the opposite it. way on one way streets anymore. I that's so good to hear. <laughs> All right. Um but yeah, Julie and I go way back, and Julie now works for Samaritan's Purse, which is um, a kind of a missions, a charitable missions organization, right under Franklin Graham. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you want to give like a little spiel of what you do there? What do you? What kind of work do you do there? I am a nutrition technical advisor, and so I help our program managers um, who are running nutrition programs out in like developing countries mostly. Um, You know, usually we're helping kids and pregnant and lactating women who are malnourished. Uh, A lot of times because of war, conflict, some kind of natural disaster, famine, that type of thing. And so I help them, advise them on project stuff, serve them, be a resource to them, and I review a lot of reports and proposals. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it, it's about what I expected you to do with your life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when we were students, you always had a heart, you know, you had a heart for missions, you had a heart for the poor. Uh It's really good to see you, you know, continuing to do that now when we're much older here. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and we're joined again by Crystal Pham, who is on staff with us here at the Righteous Remnant. Crystal, so good to have you back. Thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So our topic of conversation today is why are so many Christians deconstructing their faith, right? And or leaving the faith. So I've been working with young adults, you know, um, young adult Christians now for a good while since college, really, you know, um, so it's been about 20 years now. And, you know, the statistics say that about half of Christians leave the faith when they're in college, which I I, I think is true. Um, most of the people that were in youth group with me when I was, you know, in high school, I don't think most of those people are walking with the Lord currently. Um, many of them have left the faith. And then since then, I've seen many people who, you know, walked 
pretty strongly in their faith with Jesus for a season of their life, and now, for whatever reason, are no longer walking with the Lord, or have embraced such a um, uh, a liberal theology. I don't know if it. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but really, I would I would categorize some of that as like a heretical theology. That even if they would classify themselves as Christians, I probably would not view them as Christians. Right. So um, we could talk about some of those nuances, but. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot of believers are leaving the faith, and more so, I first became really alerted to this because I started to see a lot of Christian musicians and worship leaders start to leave the faith, right? Um, guys like um, Assad, Aubrey, Audrey Assad, she's a Catholic singer. I really liked her music. She um, deconstructed and left the faith. Kevin Max from DC Talk, I don't know if you're familiar with him. But DC Talk, they used to be like the big Christian rap yeah. group <laughs> back uh-huh. in the 90s. He left the faith. Um, you know, Ruben, not Ruben Morgan, uh, Marty Sampson, the Hillsongs worship leader. Um, I don't know if he officially left the faith, but he definitely was deconstructing his faith online on social media. He had a lot of quotes where people were really, you know, talking about it. So I started to see this pattern again and again with a lot of musicians. Um, and um, and over the past several months, um, I've been listening to a number of deconstruction testimonies because my heart is I want to understand what is going on and um, what, uh, like, are there weaknesses? Are there weaknesses in the church that we are not seeing, that we're not addressing, that are causing so many people um, to leave the faith? And so that's kind of why I have an interest in this. So I want to take a step back here and say, Julie, have you seen something similar? Like, does it seem to you like a lot of people are deconstructing or leaving the faith? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I think the pandemic maybe kind of accelerated some of these trends where people just had a lot of time to be at home, think, maybe find community in their deconstruction with other, um, you know, I think there's an increase in some of those forums for people to feel like they have support in their deconstruction. It's not a new thing, I don't think, but maybe with um, the online resources, it's become maybe accelerated a little bit more. I mean, yeah, I see it happening a lot more. It's almost trendy in some ways. <laughs> yeah, right. I I haven't I haven't looked. Actually, I should look, but there are probably like Reddit subreddits that are just about deconstructing, right? I I should actually look into that. Um, I've definitely checked out like atheist subreddits and mm. and things like that to see some of those discussions um mm-hmm. amongst atheists. But yeah, you're right. There probably are like entire support groups. Oh yeah, for yeah. People that are leaving the faith. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, um, you know, Gungor, that's another group that I think has maybe like, like, are one of the leaders in this deconstruction community. I Someone, I heard a talk once that said like, there, there's now like conferences around this, and maybe like uh, support groups and resources where you can get like a one on one guide to help you through this process. And I think there's just like a lot of um, resources out there for people who are like asking questions. And so they, they can f- find it easily now when they like do a Google search. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would guess that we can, we can all see that this is happening. I guess uh, I want to jump into, let's talk about a couple of the big reasons that we hear. There's probably like a dozen reasons that we mm-hmm. could really discuss. I think maybe let's talk about what are you know, one or two of the bigger reasons that you have heard 
of why people are leaving the faith. And and to be clear, I understand that even for individuals, it's usually a, a collection of reasons, right? There's usually mm-hmm. a bunch of them. But what are what are one or two of the bigger reasons that you feel like have been really influential about leaving people outside? Sure. Um, I think like uh, something I've seen maybe in my church is um, people struggle, I think, with popular culture and um, like maybe stances on LGBT kind of issues and maybe issues of like abortion and that type of thing. And maybe they are in like a, a, a sphere where there's like a ton of gay people around them that they're really good friends with. And they're like, how could this be wrong? And then I think sometimes they start asking questions like that. And then it puts them at odds with what what the, maybe the church says about it or the church they go to says about it. Um, I think that starts a lot of questions. I think Maybe a second thing is that the, the the churches and the biblical teachings around morality start conflicting with the lifestyles they want to choose. And so that causes like intellectual questions that are maybe spurred on by lifestyle choices, you know. Can I, um, can I, I th- ask, are there are those different from things like the LGBT issues? Like I think what so. other types of issues? Like if if someone um you know like issues on like sex before marriage for example like this doesn't have to be LGBT thing like if um it's like you know totally accept accepted in in culture you know that you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage but if if the church is teaching something different that's like hard for people to sort of reconcile those things um I think maybe sometimes like what what. I think in the past, maybe people would have left the church if they wanted to follow a certain lifestyle. I think more and more these days, I feel like people just um, stay, <laughs> they they maybe find a church or find a community that is okay with some of those behaviors. So I think there's a little bit of that going on as well. There's, there's a little bit more. Um, yeah. I don't For know. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I think maybe a third thing, maybe that's more recent is I think with like, um politics and maybe um the perception of like maybe especially young christians with the church being aligned to like trump and the republican party so there's disillusionment with like the church probably being tied to what they perceive as like a certain very narrow narrow minded culture that they don't agree with and they just have been maybe disillusioned by what they've seen because of that you know yeah, no, that's a great list. I actually want to dig into all of those things. Um, before we start digging into them, um, Crystal, I want to ask, um, what do you think about that list? Are there any others that really stand out to you that, you know, that Julie did not mention? They're like, what? this is also a big one that I see. No, I think um, Julie hit all the points. I feel like, um, yeah, with the LGBTQ um, agenda, I feel that the Christian community has been painted in a different light um in an unloving light and i feel like you know we it, it is a disillusionment and i feel like in the cultural table um christianity doesn't really have a seat anymore um and yeah i feel like those are all great points that we can tackle today yeah that's great thanks for bringing that up um so i'm i'm I just wrote down a, a a quick list, right? So I have alignment with Trump, 
which I definitely think is a, a spot of offense for a lot of people. Um, issues, moral issues that they don't want to live with, like sex before marriage, things like that. Um, some hot button political issues like the LGBT issues and abortion. Christians painted as unloving in the culture. And that's kind of tied together with this idea of this loss of Christian influence in the culture, right? There's not people outside of their churches really championing some of these positions or painting Christians in a good light, something like that. Yeah, I think all of that's true. One of the other big ones that I would point out is um, is legalism in the church. Like, I um, I, I think, you know, we're, we can get into a little bit of, Julia, the, the point you me- mentioned about how, you know, a lot of Christians will, will seek out some more liberal-type churches or churches that will fit their morality or their theology that's more accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's a dynamic that I hear in a lot of these, um, you know, deconstruction narratives where... Um, like a, there, are people Christians become really offended or hurt by legalism in the church, you know. And to be fair, like sometimes it's you know the church is teaching that homosexuality is sinful and that's perceived as legalism, and 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 then then other times I think there's a more legitimate kind of of legalism that um, rubs people the wrong way. Um, some of the things that I have heard again and again, like one of the good examples is um, I've heard a number of testimonies talk about um, evolution. And it wasn't so much in the testimonies that I heard, it wasn't so much that evolution um, was so powerful a case, although I think that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But it was my pastors like lied to me about evolution. Oh. It was like, you know, my pastor told me there's no good evidence for evolution they gave me all this evidence for, you know, creationism. But then when I actually studied the issue, there was actually really good evidence. And it was more of a feeling like the the Christian leaders were not honest with me about these things. Oh. You know, that's what I heard a number of times. Um, and um, I remember in one of Audrey Assad's interviews, you know, she talks about you know, some of the legalistic things surrounding sex, right, about how, like, she felt like her own sexual desires were, um, you know, she, she was taught to treat them as evil and uh-huh. wrong, you know? Yeah. So, to me, there was something of legalism there where it was, like, rather than clarifying where the appropriate and why it's good in the right, uh-huh. you know, situations, it's more like it's it's evil. And uh-huh. I, I just felt like I just heard, you know, some aspects of legalism from her testimony. Now, you know, again, I'm I'm listening to these people, but we're all these are just perspectives, things we're giving. But I, mm-hmm. when I was listening to these testimonies, I felt like legalism or issues related to legalism came up multiple times. So, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good list of things that we could talk about. And kind of as we talk about some of these things, what I want us to try and do is let's identify number one, what is the truth. And mm-hmm. to be clear, we're talking about very controversial issues. So it's okay if there's some degree of disagreement between us. I think it's okay. Like, let's just have an honest um, conversation about, all right, what is the truth here? And then secondly, is this highlighting an actual weakness in the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's try and, and flesh some of that out because that's kind of more where my interest lies. Like, I understand people are going are gonna to leave the faith, and um, I think that's expected, Mm-hmm. But I do think when we're talking about a lot of people leaving the faith run at the same time, mm-hmm. like, is there anything that's saying about weaknesses in the church, right? Is there anything mm-hmm. saying about how we should be pastoring or leading people to be able to handle some of these things better? Maybe something like that, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, let's talk about LGBT and abortion, because I just feel like if if we have to stick one of those things, I hear issues regarding homosexuality especially, Mm-hmm. Like are in almost every single testimony that I hear about. Mm-hmm. 
right and um oftentimes it is you know it's like why as christians can't we love these people right yeah. why why are we not loving them well and to be honest i it seems like it's usually a there's a slide here so it starts off like yeah we should be loving these people well like we're not doing a good a job loving them uh-huh. right and then over time it seems like but why why does the bible even say these things right uh-huh. and uh-huh. and then that kind of tends to drift into maybe the bible is wrong in these areas uh-huh. i do i do think some people do try to make the argument that the bible actually condones um, homosexuality when it's properly understood, right? Like Matthew Vines mm-hmm. makes, you know, a number of arguments. Like uh, the big one is like Paul is not trying to condemn um, monogamous homosexual um, unions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, personally, I I don't think almost any of those arguments are very strong mm-hmm. um, on a personal level. I mm-hmm. I've studied a number of those arguments for those who. Um, are listening to this podcast and like, man, Pastor, I need to know what are what are those resources. The best book that I have found on this is "Can You Be Gay and Christian" by Michael Brown. Uh-huh. That is a phenomenal resource. He really digs into a lot of these types of questions. Just does the Bible really say that homosexuality is wrong or is it permissible in certain circumstances? Uh-huh. I think he does a, a pretty good job in that book, pretty much demolishing um, all of those arguments. Um, and and I think most Christians come to understand that also. Right. Uh-huh. Like, I think if we're dealing honestly with the scriptures, it's very difficult to make an uh-huh. argument that the scriptures are accepting or condoning homosexuality, which is why I think for a lot of Christians, what that leads to them is wait a second, can I really trust this? Right. Uh-huh. Can I really uh-huh. trust the Bible here? And um, I think that's one of the major issues. Like, it, it, it brings into question the authority of scripture uh-huh. and whether it's, it's really trustworthy. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I mean, what do you think? Is is that, am I, does it sound like I'm summarizing that problem well? Are there other things that I'm leaving out? Yeah. I mean, I think like um, if, if like our God in America is like personal fulfillment, happiness, satisfaction, it feels like, oh, the Bible is saying that people who have these desires aren't allowed to be happy kind of thing. You know, I think that's someone somehow interpreted that. I think, um, I think there's a new like kind of trend to um, about the authority of scripture that you can like t- pick and choose like what you feel like is if, if we're like people, I feel like who I, I feel like the conversation in the past used to be around maybe uh, certain scriptures and what it's really saying. And there would be one side that's saying, um, oh, this is saying like homosexuality is wrong. And another side would be like, no, no, no. Like back in the day, like, you know, like they they had sex with little boys and that was wrong. And that's what Paul was saying. Or, you know, like it'd be like around that. And, and these days I feel like a lot, some of the conversation is like, no, actually like that part of scripture is not like fulfilling me and so we have like a new revelation and we can discard that part of the bible you know because i i feel like like there's there's people more and more these days that want spirituality and maybe like a a christianish version of it who still maybe like kind of pick and choose parts of the bible they like maybe also like pick and choose parts of buddhism they like maybe pick and choose parts of hinduism you know just but there's um, this this new way of looking at the authority of scripture where it's like, oh, some of it is good. 
and the part that's that that's good is a part that like aligns with culture you know but i i think i don't know i mean i i think i see more and more of that a little bit you know yeah i mean it's a good it's a good question so for the past 10 years now i've been primarily in the korean church world again yeah no I spent a good 10 years outside of the Korean church world and now I'm back in. They pulled me back <laughs> in, Julie. And, um, you know, in the Korean church world, there does seem to be more of a um, assumption of the authority of scripture because Korean huh. culture is very hierarchical, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. you just obey what those older people are saying or else, you know, <laughs> like that's very yeah. much a part of the culture. So I think this um you know i don't hear that many arguments from korean pastors okay. arguing against the authority of scripture um but when i was um outside of the korean church world i definitely recognized that there was it seemed uh, like a lot more questioning of the authority of scripture um you know both you and i went to berkeley mm-hmm. um there's a lot of liberal churches in berkeley mm-hmm. um I don't I I have to be honest I don't really know the arguments that they're making for the case that you presented right like hey mm-hmm. this part seems good this part mm, is the idea that it's like a cultural like hey this part should really be understood culturally and it's not supposed to apply to today or is it more like hey you know the bible it's really inspired by god but it has lots of flaws and errors so we have to figure out which parts really we follow today yeah, I think like the authority becomes more like self and and if the scripture doesn't align with what's like benefiting yourself, then you're you're like free to sort of like dis- discard it a little bit. Cause I don't think like for example, like it's not just LGBT issues. There's other stuff in the Bible that they also feel like is not like for today, right? Not beneficial for you for these times for today, whereas maybe back then it was beneficial, right? Can you give me an example. What's like, example? like not having sex until after marriage, right? I, I feel like those two kind of go hand in hand, right? Like if you you won't um they won't say um, homosexual is okay, um, but but like safe sex till marriage. Cause because both of those sort of like those cultural ideas are like anti-modern times kind of they Got discard it, yeah. just like a lot of those yeah, I feel like that's sorry, I didn't explain that well, but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I think so. I think it's really like, interesting because if you look at 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 fornication or adultery, yeah. right? At those two sins of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's almost no sins that are more clearly condemned in the New Testament. <laughs> like it's possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but it just seems like it's so clear. Like that's one of the main things that Paul is like really rebuking and targeting, yeah. you know in those churches which is why he mentions them so many different letters but yeah. i was shocked i've 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 heard you know i had somebody close to me tell me that she never knew that fornication was a sin and she'd been christian for over 20 30 years and yeah. i remember when i heard that i was shocked i was like what she, <laughs> she was she was telling me she was korean she was telling me that in korea like everyone sleeps together before marriage like mm-hmm. whether you're christian or not it's just expected yeah yeah. Was, so that to me, sorry, I was like forgetting yeah. the term for fornication. Yeah, it's like an example of where you sort of um, disc, uh, discard the things that are not like aligned with popular culture or not beneficial to you. And so like whether it's fornication, whether it's like the LGBT thing, I feel like those are kind of issues people kind of put in this big box of like where they can sort of like maybe leave in their and like the biblical authority part, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, wow. Like, um, Crystal, what what do you think about all this? And is this revealing some kind of weakness in the church that we really need to address on a larger scale? I think with all of these um, other agendas, um, it really emphasizes the idea of self-gratification. And honestly, um, yeah, in this generation, like we want to be gratified quickly and we don't want to feel guilty about it, right? And I think where the Christian church could become a little bit stronger is actually taking a stance. I know that sounds very um, counter to everything we're talking about right now, but I do see a lot of diner theology where um, pastors are getting a little bit scared to talk about the truth and it's no longer pursuit of objective truth. It's like encouraging you to embrace your truth, the subjective truth that we all have. Um, like Julia was mentioning early um, earlier, there's a lot of pick and choosing of what you want to believe in. And I really think that the idea of objective truth is becoming blurred and people are afraid to take a stance there. And honestly, I think just because of all these agendas, um, especially the LGBTQ agenda, um, it does paint Christians as just these hateful people who are berating their community. But realistically, if you look at the U.S., um, I would have to say that's not true. Like there are a group of people who do that. And I don't think that's a large majority. I think a large majority would rebuke people who do that and take a stance and um, rebuke that we should approach in a loving way. Just because we disagree with their lifestyle, that doesn't mean we don't love on them. And um but that also means that we're not going to com compromise our truth and our stance, um, just like they're not compromising on their end. Um, earlier, I mentioned that um, I feel like Christians don't have a seat at the cultural table. And what I meant by that was because I, I do have a very like libertarian view at times, um, but for LGBTQ stance, um, where I do draw the line is that there's a bit of inequality, I feel like. Um, I mean, they are bleeding into the school system and um, they're having a huge influence on um, our children, right? And it goes against our beliefs. But if we were to change the role and have Christian beliefs becoming bled into the schools, the response would be a little bit different. It won't be celebrated. <laughs> it will be um, condemned. And um, yeah, I just feel like there's a little bit of inequality there. And it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I think you're hitting on a number of really important issues. Like if I had to put my finger on what what weaknesses reveals in the church, I think it reveals a number of weaknesses. But if I had to put my finger on a big one, it's like I don't think many Christians know why God gave these sexual commands. Does that make sense? It's like you have to understand the the why of it. And if you, uh -huh. if all you understand is, well, the Bible says so, and you don't really understand why – then I feel like that can naturally lead to, wait a second, is, is, are, are we sure that this is what God's saying? Are we sure that the Bible should be trusted? I feel like it could lead to, into all of that. I remember when I was in high school, um, I remember I had a girlfriend and we started messing around in high school. And all I knew, I knew that we couldn't have sex. Like I knew that was wrong. But my theology at that point was, but you know, if you do everything except have sex, that's okay, right? Like, you know, like, I, I just, I guess I didn't understand. I didn't have a full understanding of why it was wrong or what the danger really was. All I knew is that, okay, we can't have sex because that's, that's sin, you know? And um, I use myself as an example, um, but I think it's indicative of a larger issue. Like, the issue when we're talking about 
you know, homosexuality. The issue is that so many people in our culture have a conviction that it is not wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I know for sure it is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. And they're preaching that and you don't have something similar on the other side. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you don't, right? Now, in the issue of homosexuality, I always try and have humility on this issue because the issue is this. We haven't seen the effects of homosexuality in a culture since the Romans, right? We're talking thousands of years, right? So we just don't know like what, how this is going to affect culture long term, right? And so I think without that data, it's somewhat hard to have a super strong conviction unless you've personally dealt with it and overcome it and you have a firm conviction. No, I know this is wrong. There's all the reasons why. Like as a, as a person who's never struggled with same-sex attraction, I have educated guesses and theories as to why the Lord condemns it, right? I think there's a lot of good reasons why, including like biology, like the biology doesn't fit, right? Including the... Um, you know the the what we see the patterns in the data of its link with sexual abuse and things like that. I think we see a lot of good indications of why it's not a healthy thing, but it's not the same as having like a solid conviction, right? Like when it comes to sex outside of marriage, I feel like I now have a solid conviction, right? It's not just because the Bible says so. That's why you shouldn't do it. No, it's because I actually believe it destroys families. I think when you look at you know especially women that have many sexual partners before marriage, what you see in the data is that it's very hard for them to stay in a committed relationship, right? It's hard for them to stay in a long-term marriage, right? And you see that in the data, meaning the the it's not just wrong because the Bible says it. We can actually see in society how it causes devastation and destruction. And we could see the effects of broken families and broken homes and how the divorce rate has skyrocketed, you know, in America and how you know, even many people today are not getting married, right? And what that's doing to society, we can see a lot of the effects of um, fornication and and adultery and these kinds of sins. So when I'm talking about it as a pastor, I don't have to just be like, God hates it because this is what the Bible says. I can actually say, no, these are these are all the effects of these sins. And this is why you shouldn't do it. This is why God forbids us from engaging in these sexual practices because they actually destroy our lives. They destroy society. And most of all, the children are the ones that suffer for it, right? Like, like when, when we're dealing with abortion, you know, I really, it's, it's to me, the primary issue is it's the unpeopling, the depersoning of an entire people group and saying they're, you know, we don't have to regard them as people because it hurts us. Then we have to take responsibility for them, right? This is the same rationale that's been used again and again throughout cultures in history to dehumanize, right? In the in the Holocaust, in slavery, right? I think it's the great irony of our times today where there's such incredible outrage over the dehumanization of Africans in a previous generation. And yet our generation is dehumanizing babies at a much higher rate and it's it's much more devastating, right? These are our, our, our own children, and it's all to uphold this idea that don't have to care for them if we don't if we don't regard them as people. But there's no biological, there's no scientific reason why we should convey personhood at a, at a later stage or something like that. All that I'm getting at with all this talk here is this idea that conviction. We need believers with conviction on these issues, and 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 they have to speak out like. It's not enough for for 
you know, even occasional pastors have conviction, right? This is the difference between a church that really believes in God's commands, right? I'm not ashamed of his commands because I see that they're good, right? And I think what this is betraying is that there's a lot of people that don't see why this is why this is good. Why would God command people not to have sex before marriage, right? Why would he command these things? I, I just don't think those things are being well taught. And, um, you know, part of uh, part of my concern and complaint is these days when I'm like looking for cultural truth, generally speaking, I'm not looking to many pastors. Generally speaking, these days I'm looking to like Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I'm looking to like Jordan Peterson. I'm looking to a lot of these people who are speaking into the political realm because they're using logic to defend the Bible, right? And it seems like many pastors and Christian leaders are not able to do that in a, in a strong way. And I think that's evident in the type of believers that we're producing that don't have strong convictions in these areas. I don't know. What do you think about all that, Julie? Um, I think that's an interesting thought, right? Because the first thought that comes to my mind about why God said um, to like that man should be with woman is like, okay, that's God's design, but then why? And, and, and for you to have data on like the negative effects of it, to me, it might be similar to like pointing out in heterosexual marriages, like our 50% divorce rate and all the ways that how much abuse there is and all the ways it's gone wrong. We, but we don't throw out the institution of marriage because of all of the ways it's gone wrong. Like, I don't actually, maybe I'm one of those you're talking about where I don't really have really solid answers for why God thought, you know, it was um, in his perfect design when there's people who who say they were like born with these desires. But I heard an interesting kind of like video from Francis Chan once, and he said he, um, he reads this in the Bible and he doesn't know why, and it's like hard for him to accept, but it's what it says. And because he has a relationship with God where he trusts him and he believes in him and he's shown himself to him, he has to take it at face value. So he said, if this book from God told me that I am not allowed to date Asian women, then I would have to follow it regardless if I didn't, I knew why or, or why not. And so to him, I feel like, and sometimes like, I feel like, we don't talk about that enough where we're building our relationship with God and his authority and our trust in him so much that we just take it when we don't understand why, because I think there is a lot of people who will come against like some of the data or the arguments and just, you know, point out some of the, the things, like I said, well, what, well, we'll look at heterosexual marriage. What about that? You know? And like, so I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to sort of like come from that perspective of, we can try to give answers, but some of it is, is I don't know, like there's mystery in it to me as well, where I don't think I understand the mind of God fully in this matter, you know? Yeah, no, I completely understand, right? That's faith. That's what trust is, Yeah. right? Um, I actually recorded a, a podcast episode a little earlier about talking about how, yeah, Christianity is based on trust, right? It's not because 2,000 years ago, Paul deduced the perfect moral system. You know, it's because a deity claimed to be perfectly morally good and the people put their trust in him 
and that's held up for thousands of years. So I I 100% agree with what you're saying of the idea of the, the core of Christianity is trust, which is the whole idea that we don't understand everything and we're trusting this word. And I think that's true. I think the analogy that I would use though is like, like with my kids, I expect my kids to obey my commands based on trust mm-hmm. because they're, they can't understand a lot of the reasons for why I'm going to give them those commands yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as they mature, my hope is that they would understand exactly yeah. why I'm giving those commands so that they would be able to pass down those commands to their children as well. And I think mm-hmm. I see it very similarly in the church where on an issue like homosexuality, I would say I'm in a similar place. Like I said, like I have guesses about why I think it's wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I have some data points, but I don't have like a super solid conviction. And I feel like that's where most of the church is. Right. And that's why we don't have super compelling answers for the rest of the world on this issue at this moment. Right. Most of the answers that you're going to hear from Christian leaders are, well, hey, look, I trust the scriptures. And I think that's fair. I think that's where I am too. And I think that God, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know for sure if God's holding back the conviction and the revelation. Um, that's possible. But I also think it's possible maybe we just haven't, you know, I, I think if we go on another hundred years, you know, we'll be able to look back and say, oh, now I understand much more why the Lord considers evil. Because now I saw the effect of this sin, you know, on my on our culture. We have leaders that got real authority and real conviction in this area. So all I'm getting at is I think that there is a dynamic where initially we have to trust, right? And as we mature in God, then we should have a solid conviction for the reasons behind why he uh-huh. gives commands, something like that. But to be clear, yeah. I think there's always going to be some aspect of trust. Yeah. No, I mean, as, as as much as we can, I think we should have like reasons for the, the answers that we're giving. Man, this one's a tough one, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's important, like, because yeah. when you listen to all these deconstruction narratives, it's I feel like they're not getting satisfactory answers. And I I understand. I understand. Like, to be clear, on the, on some issues, I do feel like, hey, right now. We're not wholly sure, but we have to trust, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think on other issues, I think the problem is that there's better answers outside the church than inside the church, largely mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. think that's the reason why, like, uh, you know, when I look at Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson um, is selling out stadiums when he speaks, you know, like mm-hmm. this guy has like millions of people listening to him. And a lot of those people are Christians. A huge percentage of his audience are Christians. Same thing with Ben Shapiro. Same thing with a lot of these, you know, Dennis Prager. A lot of these guys, a huge percent of their audience is Christians. And the reason why these Christians are listening to a lot of these guys is because they're giving rational answers for biblical belief, mm. right? And I think that shows that there's something of a weakness in the church where we're not doing a good job of giving rational answers mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. lot of these things. And that's okay. kind of some of the stuff that I'm trying to point out. Okay. I mean, I, I, I believe in data too and, and all of that. I'm just wondering that if you should like the data shows negative effects from homosexual marriages. Um, to me, that's just, you know, like the same thing as like showing school dropout rates for school. You don't like throw out school, you know, <laughs> you just like fix the school. Right. So like to me, if I was, <laughs> or you don't yeah. throw out heterosexual marriage, you just try to like fix the marriage. So that there's not like a 50% yeah. divorce. Right. So like, if I were like a non-Christian, like trying to listen to your things, I would just be like, Oh, well then just fix the institution. Don't just, 
Yeah. Does it mean that? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, I think the point you're raising is this idea, like it's very easy to misread data, right? Oh, okay. So data alone is not a sufficient argument for almost anything, which I would which I would agree with. I think it's a, it's good supporting evidence. And the thing is, all of us use data and everything, right? I'm sure you use yeah. data in your business, right? And the and all of us are struggling with um, the reality that data is often misread. And when you misread data, then you have to go back and reinterpret it and find out how to read the data correctly in such a way that actually bears more fruit. I, that's science, right? Science yeah. is, hey, yeah, we're going to do sure. all these experiments. And then yeah. what are we pulling out of, you know, all these experiments? So, you know, when we're talking about, you know, some of those issues, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I want to dig in a yeah. little bit here, okay. right? Because yes, there is, you know, something like a 50% divorce rate today, okay? Mm -hmm. um, a, a large percentage of that divorce is people who have been divorced multiple times, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think generally what you see is those who, especially when we're talking about women, women who have had zero to one sexual partners prior to marriage have the highest rates of, you know, um, staying together with their husband, you know, long-term. I think that that plays out in the data. When you look at homosexual couples, um, you know, even in, in the marriages, now there's far less data on this, right? To be clear, um, but even in the, in the limited data we have, what we see is that in homosexual couples, um, it's very rare, very rare that you find monogamous homosexual marriages. Like a 10-year monogamous homosexual marriage is actually very rare. I mm -hmm. think something like over 90% of them are going to have other sexual partners as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really a redefinition yeah. of, of marriage. And I think all this plays out in the data. And the problem is these things are rarely talked about. Like you'll never hear that figure, you know, in culture, like where are you yeah. going to hear that figure? You know, unless you go yeah. looking for it, they're not going to talk about. It. They're not going to talk about it in K through twelve education when they're trying to talk about how great homosexuality is. You have yeah. to go looking for some of those data points because it gives a mm -hmm. fuller picture of what's actually happening here, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I so I, I do think that data is actually really helpful for Christians to understand. I remember I saw a poll by Barna, I think it was a Barna poll where yeah. they polled Christians. They said, "What what are the what's the the most important thing that you really wish your pastor would talk about, mm -hmm. right? At the top of the list was abortion, and second was homosexuality. Yeah. When they polled all Christians, what do you yeah. wish your pastor would talk about? And then when they polled pastors about what things you think are important to talk about, homosexuality and abortion were towards the bottom of the list, right? Yeah. This was this was a little over ten years ago, I think, right? So this was yeah. a little bit older. I think times have changed a little bit now. Yeah. But there's a disconnect there. Right. Yeah. Where Christians are craving more understanding on these issues because they're being attacked on these issues. Yeah. Right. They're getting like they're getting persecuted at their job. They're getting persecuted, you know, at school and they have to have something to back up their views with. That's better than, well, the Bible says so, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like and and I, I think that's where our church leadership has has been dropping the ball. And I say that as a church leader myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. we're. I feel like scrambling to try and deal with some of these issues that frankly, like I didn't take a class in seminary about abortion and homosexuality mm -hmm. yeah. that I can't think of hardly a more important class to take in seminary right now. Yeah. They don't even have that thing. So to be clear, some seminaries have started to implement some of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that's some of the issue here. We're just, we don't have great answers and 
this is why, like for me personally, I'm hungry to know. I want to know all the data. I want to understand these issues in depth, right? So that when I when I'm talking to people, and especially I find that it's actually very effective when I'm talking to young people and I'm giving them the data, I'm giving them the statistics, I'm telling them why scripture is not just good because the Bible says so, but because it actually holds up in real world, real world practice, right? And um and it works. Like I find for Uh for many young adults that that's actually really important and they really appreciate having all of that information. Mm, Um, The the last thing I'll say on this, just to step away, but to move into another thing, Crystal, that you commented on is this issue of identity. One of the things that I've talked about when it comes to LGBT issues is one of the big problems and disconnects is that in, in as Christians, we tend to think of homosexuality as a behavior, Right. But what is popular in culture is not homosexuality as behavior, but it's homosexuality as an identity, right? And those are actually two different things, right? Like, I can say, hey, I think homosexuality is evil, speaking of the behavior. But somebody who grows up in our culture doesn't hear that as, oh, like, it, it's not the same as if I, you know, lie to somebody or I cheat on a test. They don't hear it like that. They hear it as, no, this is who I am, right? And so when you say that's evil you're rejecting me as a person and and this is why the church is is unloving this is why the church is is seen as unloving because of this idea of homosexuality being part of a person's identity and i i attribute that largely to marxism i think that's been a huge part of the marxist agenda over the past 20 years has been trying to stick people into different identity groups and have them identify according to these oppressed people groups, right? So, Julie, when you or I, you and I were at Berkeley 20 years ago, it was mostly limited to most of the race stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It was a lot of identity along the, the mm-hmm. signs of race. I remember we were at InterVarsity together. There was a lot of racial reconciliation talk and, you know, what does it mean to be Christian as an Asian? And there was a lot of identity type of talk. When I look back on that now, I actually feel like, I I feel like a lot of that is Marxist influence without like I don't think university necessarily realized, oh, this is Marxism, <laughs> you know. Um, but I see it as being very Marxist influence now, right? Because it's training people to think of themselves in terms of these identity groups and seeing okay, what aspect of this identity has been oppressed, right? And how, you know, how do I think as part of that identity group? And to be clear, I think there can be a healthy way to do that. I'm not necessarily saying that that whole way of thinking is wrong, but what I am saying, it's very easy for that to slide into a stronger Marxist paradigm, which is what I've seen many times with many different people is when they really start to embrace that whole idea of, of different identities and that paradigm of certain, you know, certain groups have more privilege and power, right? All these ideas of systemic um, oppression and systemic racism, when they really embrace that entire framework of thinking, I've found that it usually leads people away from biblical Christianity. Is that something you've seen? Because I know you've dealt a mm-hmm. lot of this and you've, you know, you've yeah. been in a lot of these circles. Yeah, I think I probably have like a little different view of of like these racial reconciliation kind of conversations and teachings from IV because I felt like what what I got from it was like um like God 
valuing culture and valuing the ways that like we can express our faith through like the way through the culture and and the ways he wired us and i felt like in some ways it's like living out the beatitudes of being peacemakers and trying to bring peace where there was conflict maybe between certain racial groups or certain groups felt like they had no voice um just like affirming their identity in christ and like saying your voice matters like like to me it was like they were there were biblical values in what they were trying to do and i didn't feel like there was like this emphasis on i don't know like marxist ideas of identity and oppressor mm-hmm. and all that kind of and stuff but i i do think like there are systemic <laughs> um i know we've talked about this before this yeah. will go into a whole different <laughs> area by do- what well, the things i think it's all part of this i think yeah. it's all part of this so that's okay to be clear like julia you know julia and i are old friends like that's yeah. fine we can talk about this kind of stuff right yeah, yeah so yeah. when i hear you say all that yeah to me, that sounds like mostly of the healthy variety of what is going on here, right? Because I think there is truth in that, right? This idea yeah. of like, hey, how we're going to experience America in the 21st century as an Asian is going to be somewhat different than yeah. as a black person or as a white person. And so yeah. understanding some of that stuff and you don't have to be ashamed that, you know, your mom put kimchi in your lunchbox. I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like, like some of these types of issues. I think that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Right. But I think when we look at the evolution of what happened to InterVarsity, right. So for, as an example, right. So InterVarsity at Berkeley, both of us were involved in that fellowship and, um, you know, that fellowship basically imploded. I don't know how many, Timmy, 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, something like that, um, over the issue of homosexuality. InterVarsity National put out a statement that if you were, um, openly gay, they would they didn't want you to serve on their staff, and that caused so much drama. I think at a lot of university chapters, right, huh. and in particular the Berkeley one, really imploded because um, a number of people were gay <laughs> on uh. staff, right, and um, and and that's because back when I was a student there, it was a lot. It was mostly recon- racial reconciliation talk. That's what uh-huh. it mostly was. And I remember being like, okay, that's cool. I don't know why we have to talk about it all the time, but okay. Yeah. I, I, I basically understand the gist of it, but I didn't understand the gist of it because it, it was a healthy form of something that the reason why people got really passionate about it is because they really started to identify, understand this. I would say a more Marxist paradigm of people versus people oppression. Right. And so the idea that, if somebody is gay, that's who they are, and that is an op- oppressed people group. Because I've been championing, for example, black oppression, right? Trying to stand up for black oppression in my culture. And now here's another oppressed group. It's the LGBT community, right? And and isn't it right for us to stand for them, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the issue is identity, right? It's not you know, something that I do. This is who I am. And I think that's more that's why it was easy for groups like InterVarsity, and i think there are a number of other churches and fellowships that that went down the same road it started with racial reconciliation and hey yeah there's systemic racism and systemic oppression and the thing is those things i think can be understood in a healthy way uh-huh, right uh-huh. but the whole nature of the idea of systemic racism that is an inherently marxist concept meaning it was developed by marxist thinkers in academia using those types of words. They created those words to convey Marxist principles. And those were kind of co-opted by Christian groups, especially in Latin America through liberation theology, right? There's a whole, you know, um, mm-hmm. 
there's a whole evolution of theological thought where you know Christian groups took some of these ideas from Marxist thinkers and they incorporated them into the theology, not realizing that they what they were doing there was opening a door to something that was a lot more dangerous. And I think that's what happened. So my you know my criticism of you know intervarsity is not I think they weren't trying to do evil. I think they were trying to do right. They just didn't realize the doors they were opening here. And I think one of the big red flags is this idea of being gay as being your identity, right? Like that's something mm-hmm. that I flatly reject at this point, right? If somebody mm-hmm. says, I'm gay, that's who I am. I'm like, no, that's not who you are. That's that's a desire that you might feel. But Christianity talks about all of us. We all feel evil desires at times. But once it becomes part of who you are, that's how God designed you. That's how he made you. Then it becomes something that you have to celebrate and defend. And then if that's true, then yes, we are oppressing you, right? If that's who you are, if God designed you beautiful, perfect, and good, and your gay identity, and we're saying that's evil, well, yeah, then it's an issue of oppression. So I understand the train of logic that many of the people in the intervarsity community fell into, in my opinion. And I think it's the reason why so many of them now are, you know, full, full on, um, you know, gay embracing part of gay embracing churches are no longer Christian anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's a little bit unfortunate in our society that you like, there's like whole groups of issues that like, if you accept one, you tend to are pressured to accept all the others. I think that Mm -hmm. happens with Republicans and Democrats, Mm -hmm. the conservatives and the liberals. Like for me, I feel like I can um, believe that systemic racism exists, but that doesn't mean I have to believe like um, in the LGBTQ agenda. And I could believe in, you know, like abortion is wrong, but doesn't mean I have to be like anti-immigration, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I feel like we can pick and choose like, like what we believe based on our convictions from biblical principles without having to accept the whole package. And maybe one group, like you saw a bad example or example, you, you, you felt like opened that, like got one thing and opened the door to that whole like can of worms. But I don't think it has to be that. And I've seen other examples where maybe they believed in systemic racism, but it didn't lead to having to believe everything else in that package, but they're still biblically orthodox and a lot of, you know, and then, you know, so I don't know. I've seen good examples of that too. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, honestly, that's where I feel like I was when I was in college, right? In that place. Mm So yeah, I definitely think you could be a, a, you know, solid Christian and, and stay in that place. I I think that's fine. You know, all I'm pointing is I I think there is a tendency for people to slide down that road. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I understand at least, you know, in terms of the evolution of their thought processes, why yeah. that tends to happen. But we won't, we won't, okay. we don't need to go on forever on that <laughs> yeah, particular yeah, yeah. issue. <laughs> okay. Um, Crystal, forgive me. I was going a lot of back and forth with Julie here. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to say on this issue? Any thoughts about what we, what we said, or we could jump into another one of these, you know, six issues that we identified. I, I guess I just want to tie everything back to the original question. And the original question is um, why are Christian people leaving the faith? Right. Mm-hmm. And all of these issues that we are talking about, um, there's this idea that it's not wrong. It's not harming anyone. I think that's the main thing mm. I hear is it's not yeah. harming anyone. If I'm gay, like, who am I harming? Um, if I commit abortion, um, it's not really life. So what am I harming? Um, racial systemic stuff like, oh, what am I harming if I'm pursuing justice? Right. Mm. And I think a lot of that 
like you guys were talking about, yes, data is needed, but I feel like we're already seeing some of the consequences of these um, agendas uh, with LGBTQ agenda. I feel like um, people are getting really confused with their identity. Like they're proclaiming themselves as all these different letters, um, but in reality, it, it looks like they're so confused. Like I'm starting to see people identify as emails. <laughs> like I mean, like I feel like people are getting so confused these days. And with abortion, um, yeah, just I think they're getting confused with what the meaning of life is now, and um, that opens the door to so much evil. <laughs> and I do think it's dehumanizing. And with um, the racial things. Um, yeah, I do think it's great that we stand up for each other and uh, we embrace our um, our ethnicity and our culture. However, I also think that um, with this idea of reconciliation, I don't see a lot of it happening. Like, I don't see the idea of forgiveness being there. I feel like um, these days, <laughs> white people honestly are being bashed for just being white, you know, and we're holding them um, to this identity of being an oppressor. And I don't think they've ever been a slave owner in their lives. Right? Um, so I think we're, yeah, I think um, a lot of evil can happen from opening these doors. And um, yeah, so I think it all comes down to just really identifying that, yeah, these agendas can lead to evil things because we live in a sinful world and we are simple people mm -hmm. and these are things that we have to be aware of even if it sounds good on paper like these are things that we have to investigate and continue to monitor yeah i, th I think you're right um i think that's absolutely uh, you know as we see the effects of some of these things that seem like they're not really hurting anybody right but just do the things but it's it it when those sins evolve like they grow right like i think that's the whole idea there's a lot of this idea in christian thought like hey um, if you look at a woman lustfully, it's as the sin of adultery, right? That's what Jesus says. Now, to clarify, I, I don't think those two are equivalent, right? I don't think looking at a woman lustfully is the same as committing adultery with her. Um, I think what Jesus is getting at is that if you indulge that, right? If you indulge that um, lust, then what happens is that desire will grow, right? And as it grows, then it it brings temptation for greater and greater sin. And it's the same kind of sin, that kind of a thing, right? So the idea of, yeah, what's the problem with like, you know, looking, I'm not hurting anybody. Well, it's in the baby form of that sin. Yeah, it's not particularly damaging, right? But if you indulge that sinful desire and that sinful temptation, you don't know where that thing goes, right? And I think when we look at the at the LGBT issue, yeah, I think that's part of it, right? Because already it's it's only been, I don't know what, 10 years since it's been widely embraced in, in Christian, in, in society. And now it's not just LGBT. It's it's mostly these days. It's the T issue, right? It's it's if we can identify, you know, in in whatever way that we feel, how can that you know? And now it's evolving. Like, well, I feel like I'm I'm a different race, as you point out. I feel like I'm a different sex. I feel like I'm a different species. You know, it like who knows where this go? Like, especially, and I think you know where many people are drawing the line is um, when it comes to pedophilia. Right, I feel attraction to child children. There is, um, there is a push um, by some segments of the left where they're trying to, you know, redefine pedophilia as minor attracted persons and justify it. And the thing is, you know, you can kind of understand what they're talking about. Hey, like a person can't really help. These are not; they're not trying to be evil. They just naturally feel these attractions, right? So, based off of the same logic and rationale that we use, you know, talking about, 
you know, gay issues and transgender issues, it's the same logic here, right? If a person feels that, we can't condemn a person for feeling that. We can just talk about what's appropriate to do afterwards, right? So I think it all flows from the same kind of logic. So I think you're right um, in terms of that's what the scriptures are, are kind of warning us about. And that's why we fight it at the smallest stage, right? When it's the, when it's, even when it's just a, a, a lustful thought, we're recognizing, hey, even that, I understand it's wrong. I understand it. It's not like I committed adultery. It's not like I murdered somebody. You know, I don't think we need to feel condemned in that sense, right? But just recognize, but I understand it is an evil desire that I am to battle and I'm to fight and I'm not to indulge it, something like that, right? Um, I do want to try and hit on one more major issue because we've talked a lot about LGBT, sex, abortion, which I think is a phenomenal discussion because I think this is really at the heart of what is, you know, one of the major issues that's out there. Um, if you guys are okay with that, I do want to jump into a little discussion on legalism. Um, uh-huh. Again, being in the Korean church, uh-huh. there's a lot of legalism in the Korean church, right? Julie, I don't know if you're, how, how much familiarity do you have with the Korean church? You have a bit, right? Like you have, you got some friends that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give church? me an example of like how you define legalism? Cause you gave an yeah. example earlier where I was like, Oh, is that legalism? I, Cause I don't know exactly how you're defining it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. a great question. I would, I would define legalism as um, judging holiness or righteousness by the outward appearance and not by the heart of it, something like that. So, okay. for example, um, you know, Jesus condemns the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the clearest oh. example of legalism, right, in the Gospels. And it's because they're being very careful to obey the commands that show outward righteousness. Okay. But on the inside, they're not obeying the spirit of the commands. Okay. Right. They're actually okay. disobeying the spirit of the commands because they're they're focused on the outward appearance. And so you can have cultures where um, this causes lots of unrighteous judgment. So I always okay. say that you can have legalism go in multiple different directions. So, for example, in charismatic churches, you know, you can have people that are jumping around and going crazy. Uh-huh. And if you're not doing that, you're like, oh, this person is not holy. You know, okay. like, yeah. That's a legalistic judgment, in my opinion. Okay. Right. Um, and then, you know, it, I think we're we're all more familiar with the other side of the spectrum where it's like, you know, people are very reserved. And then if you're the one jumping around, they're like, Oh, that person, they're, they're weird or something like that. Right. Okay. The whole point is that you can't judge by outward appearances, okay. right? You have to judge by the heart and that's not necessarily so, e- so easy to do. So when we're talking about obedience to commands, I think that's what happens a lot of times where it becomes very legalistic, where we are, we stand firm on like the letter of the law without okay. really understanding the heart of the commander, why God gives it. And, and there's, you know, there's always exceptions, right? Uh-huh, like uh-huh. Jesus talks about how on the Sabbath, you know, uh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but uh-huh. they got really upset with him, right? For picking grain on the Sabbath. They got uh-huh. really upset with him, you know, for, for doing something because they were, he was breaking the letter of the law. But what he was saying is that, no, if your, if your animal falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, is it right uh-huh. or wrong to, to help him? Uh-huh. Right. And, and so the whole idea is understanding that that command to not work on the Sabbath fits in a hierarchy of commands. Okay. And there are times where you do have to do things that are like work on the Sabbath to be obedient to a greater command. Okay. Right. Yeah. And um, what I'm getting at here is um, in many church cultures, there is a strong um, value for the appearance of holiness. And I okay. say this, I say this as a pastor all the time, like in the Korean church, very rarely will you have pastors actually sharing their real weaknesses. Hmm. In fact, in the Korean churches in general, a lot of times, um, okay. that's because there's so much gossip. <laughs> there's oh, okay. so much gossip. 
and slander and like and so people don't feel safe to show their you know what's what they're really struggling with and they feel like they always have to put on like a show they have to put on like you know they have to appear more holy than they actually are all of that is um a type of legalism in my opinion right okay and the reason why i bring it up is because um what i tend to see is i think that there is a danger of going to a legalistic extreme or going to a lawless extreme right Mm. Uh-huh. And so when we're talking about a lot of these churches that are accommodating, you know, LGBT theology and things like that, I would characterize those churches as going to a lawless extreme. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I think in us talking about that, we're all recognizing that's a problem, right? Okay. I think it's, I think it's a major problem, but I think there's also a problem on the other side uh-huh. where there's, there's so much legalism uh-huh. in the church and people are really hurt and wounded by that where they feel yeah. like they're not well understood, where they feel like they're, um, uh-huh. you know, one of the, one of the, um, you know, condemnations that Jesus put on is that you, you, you to the Pharisees said you, you give, you put a load on people's back that you don't even lift a finger mm. to help yourself, you know, like, yeah. and that's one of, I think the manifestations of legalism is you feel like you have to carry a load that you don't have the grace to carry, you yeah. know? And so you yeah. these expectations are put on you that you feel like you can never live up to. And you yeah. feel like you're always failing the leadership or you're always failing God or something like that. Yeah. And that I think is indicative of, of us not doing a good job in terms of clarifying what does God actually expect from people right and i think when god's expectations are clarified then what happens is are the load that we feel like we have to carry is much lighter right and it's like and it's not too hard to follow god something like that yeah okay um and so you know if, if i look back at our time at berkeley i think Generally speaking, what our community tended to more struggle with was was more on the lawless side. Generally speaking, um, but I think you know because I just to give a little background for those who are listening, you know, we were part of a more charismatic, you know, spirit filled kind of group, right? Where it's like, you know, who knows? Let's just follow the spirit, whatever he wants to do, let's do it. And then you know, we would look at some of the other churches, um, you know, that are much more structured and. And I think it's very easy for us to see legalism a lot of times, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and and I think that's true. I think that that's a real problem for a lot of churches because what's happening is Christians are, um, they have solid teachings, but they don't understand the heart of why. And so they can't give grace when they're supposed to give grace and they can't receive grace when they're supposed to receive grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you see for a lot of people is when they grow up in legalistic cultures, um, eventually they just get like, I got to get out of here. Mm. I got to get out of here. Okay. And when they get out, they feel so free. And a lot of those believers flee to more lawless cultures. Okay. Right. So there's like okay. almost like a, a ping pong effect because they feel so free. So you'll hear Christians that grow up in more legalistic cultures. Once they really start hearing um, messages about grace, like really mm. strong messages, about, like God's so gracious. He loves you. Right. You're precious to him, even though you're immature. You start hearing the the message about the grace of God. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so healing and life giving. And like mm-hmm. and, so, and and then what happens is a lot of those believers, they just like I got to get out of this, this mm-hmm. whole legalistic thing. And yeah. I, I think, you know, when we're talking about Gunger and a yeah. lot of these musicians, I heard a lot of echoes of legalism. Like Marty Sampson, for example, I remember yeah. he, you know, he said like, you know, how come God, you know, sends people, all these people to hell, you know, mm-hmm. how come science is always disproving the Bible? How come, mm-hmm. you know, this, and then, and then he said, and no one ever talks about it. That's the part that really stood out to me. Cause I was like, Hmm. Man, you don't live in California, that's for sure, right? Because I was like, 
I feel like that's all they all we talk about. You know, it's like yeah. you know all this is. But I understand in many different people when they're growing up in church, they're in this like church bubble. Yeah, where you're almost not allowed to talk about like the things that don't make sense to you or like okay. why do we do it like this? And I heard a lot of those. Um, I heard a lot of those things from in these deconstruction narratives. So, so okay, can I clarify something? When you yes. start like questioning. Um, things like evolution, use the evolution example before, or things like um, science, that kind of stuff. Is that in the category of legalism? It's, no? in, the, it's in the category of legalism when, when nobody can question it, when nobody can, like, there's not, there, okay. you can't talk about it. Okay. Okay. Because you're just sense? focused on rules, like, and looking good, kind of, that's like a legalistic environment. Yeah. Sort of, and like, because, right and, and living right. To, yeah, because to talk about it, okay. um, you know, would show that you don't you don't believe or you don't trust God, you know. So, okay. uh, you know, I, this is much more common, I think, in the in the Korean church world. Um, okay. And to be fair to Koreans, it's not just Koreans. I've seen a lot of not Korean churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Okay. Um, but you know, churches I think are yeah. on a spectrum. Um, yeah. Crystal, I wanted to ask you because I think um, you have experienced some of this being in the Korean church. Um, have you seen people who have been really hurt? you know, buy forms of legalism in the church. And then eventually they're like, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. And they, and they walk away from the faith. I mean, I do hear of um, people walking away from the faith because of the church or a pastor. And um, I, I don't want to dishonor the whole community of uh, community oh, yeah. believers. Right. Um, but yeah, we do sometimes have our downfalls of legalism. And a lot of that is, I mean, God has commanded, that is true, but he also granted us agency. And with that agency, that doesn't mean it's permission, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like a lot of times in the Korean church, pastors or people with higher roles, they do feel like they have this certain control over the people in church. And um, I think that limits um, opportunity for people to voice out what they're struggling with because um, a lot of the leaders are just so quick to correct rather than listen. And honestly, the church is a place of healing. And part of healing is to just really be able to talk about what you're struggling with and process that together and pray together. But that opportunity is not there if you're just condemning left and right. Um, so I think that's where, um, at least from my experience, um, from more of a Korean church background and legalism i think that's where the downfall is where people can't be honest about what they're going through and we have this um, mask on at church and we're serving we know how we should look and we know what we're supposed to say or know we know how we're supposed to act but behind the scenes like we're struggling um yeah i don't think um that there's a lot of growth in that <laughs> for sure yeah. Yeah, it it makes God so not enjoyable, you know. Like it makes, you know, Christianity so not enjoyable because um, it, it leads to a puffed up pride. Because if you are following all the rules and you feel like you're mostly doing it, then you feel like very superior to others. And um, to be clear, I do think there's an aspect where we should try and be more obedient, right? I think that's true. The problem is it's not so easy to tell who's being more obedient in a church because you don't know. You know, God has expectations that are set for each individual. Right. Because in the same way that I deal with my kids, some, you know, like my daughter's really good at art. I cannot expect my son to be as good at art as my daughter. 
right? He's got his other strengths. And if I put that burden on him, he's going to feel like he's a constant, like he's a failure, but he's great at other things. He's really good at them. So the expectations that we, that we set are really personally attuned to us in a way that only the Lord can uh, knows fully, right? So when our, our system of judgment becomes determined by a number of outward signs of obedience, and a lot of that is just being real. At some churches, it's like minor doctrine. You have to line up on every minor doctrine, you know? Mm. And, um, and if you don't, then it, you know, it, then there's uh, all sorts of uh, terrible things that can happen to you in these communities, including being kicked out, right? So I feel like, yeah, I hear a lot of legalism stories um, again and again when I listen to these. Um, Julie, wh- what do you think? Have you seen any of this stuff? Um, I think I probably, like, didn't, like, grow up in a church that, like, is that struggled with legal. Oh, I, I only, I started going to church maybe, like, in junior high, and it wasn't, like, a legalistic church. Mm-hmm. Um I have been in, like, I did spend, like, maybe two weeks in a community where I was like, oh, I think I'm expected to dress like everybody else around here. Yeah. I was like, maybe that's, maybe that's what, and act like a certain way. And so maybe that's well, qu- like. Question, did you start to dress that way and act that way? No, I what... only stayed there two weeks. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy a new wardrobe, just kidding. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there because was that... a. That's there was a certain question. personality type and a look mm-hmm. and i was like yeah. oh this is so interesting like yeah. um you know like i um there was a lot of conformity around like a certain um yeah i don't know yeah. type like that that was perceived to be more spiritual i guess yeah i think maybe maybe i was like in yeah not in those communities but i have a question that came up earlier mm-hmm. so okay i know i know i've talked to you before about your you, sorry to bring it back to the lgbt thing again but <laughs> no but this relates to legalism yep. because because you feel like pastors um both of you have said pastors should take a stand more they're not talking about this people want this to be talked to but i sort of feel like it's okay for them to not be talking about it because I come from the perspective where there's people in the congregation that are on really difficult journeys struggling with this and trying to figure it out and they are coming from this place likely where they feel judged condemned like criticized and they're having to overcome like 10 like hurdles um to hear like um to hear God loves them. So I think, I, I feel like, like maybe that the, the pastors want to, oftentimes they feel like they want to work with people one-on-one to journey with them, to kind of like bring down some of those barriers to, you know, so that not, so like when they, like if you teach the, the truth, I think legalism is like a lot of truth without love oftentimes, right? Truth mm-hmm. without grace, maybe truth. Yeah. So then they feel like this is just going to add to that layer of like barriers that that won't allow them to even like be willing to go through a journey where God can work in that area. Mm-hmm. And um right, because that's where a lot of these people are coming from. And we and and for them to maybe like extend that grace and journey and love, they they can't they're it's it's difficult to talk about it from the pulpit, you know? For sure. So I don't know. I mean Yeah, no, I totally right? understand. I totally understand. It, it, by the way, that's that's um, where I would say most of the churches um, and leaders in California are, right? Yeah. So I totally understand that rationale, right? Yeah. Um, the 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 reason why I disagree with it is because th- the issue for me is not that you have to hammer it every Sunday or something like that. Yeah. There just has to be real clarity. Okay. There has to be real clarity, and um, 
I know I know of a number of churches where they made the decision not to address it publicly, like in um, on pulpits and stuff like that. Um, and they tried to address it on more private, smaller like seminars or something. Like those. And I understand that rationale, and I've utilized some of that before. Um, but the problem is, um, in in some of the, in a number of those churches, um, they had major problems because what happens is a lot of people, when the when the church is not really clear, a lot of people end up getting discipled to embrace same sex attraction. And I know pastors that were like, we were really clear, you know with people one-on-one, we were really clear. We did seminars on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet what they had was a growing faction in their churches. They were pushing for full gay inclusion and okay. they, those groups, they were more militant than the pastors were. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Okay. They, they were more passionate about seeing the church embrace a fully gay agenda than the pastors were passionate about clarifying what God was saying. And um, in a number of those churches, there were, there, there were major problems, which I totally understand because yeah. um, even in my church, um, you know, my, my last ministry when I was in California, like, you know, I don't know what, how often I would mention homosexuality, maybe like once every other month, you know, like not that often, but I try to be very clear about it. Um, I remember one day I was doing research. So I went to our church's library um, to, um, you know, find that book that, that can you be gay and Christian book from the library to get a quote from there. And um, I grabbed one of the copies and somebody had put um, a handwritten letter in the book and it said, hey, if you are gay and and Christian, you need to understand this church hates you. Right. And you need that. There's so many other gay affirming churches. Like here's a here's some recommendations for churches that will affirm you and love you as you are. Right. And they had put copies of that letter in multiple books. Right. In our library. Right. And so wait, this when they said this church, they re- they referred to a certain church. Yeah. Our church. Oh, was, your church. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. are yeah, you yeah. serious? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, OK. OK. Oh, because wow. what, what, what I'm getting at is that there is an entire army of people that are fighting to have people know that homosexuality yeah. is good and right and healthy. OK. And if pastors aren't clearly teaching people that it's not their people are going to be influenced that way that those are the times that we're living in right so, so if mm-hmm. your church where you were clear and these mm-hmm. other churches where they were clear in seminars and one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. um can't both churches have factions that are fighting for like inclusion because did your church have people your church didn't right because they just or did not- your church not Did, openly, but like that—that that was an example of somebody who you know was probably in our group in your church in your yeah. church probably okay yeah this probably in our church and okay. they probably I don't know they probably left after a while you know okay. yeah. um but my only point is that people are being influenced by this constantly at their schools yeah, yeah. you know online on social media so if the church isn't clear about it they're going to be growing factions that are pro LGBT like yeah I, I worked very briefly at another church. Where, um, you know, the pastor there was just like, hey, just don't talk about it. I remember, like, he told another one of the pastors on staff, he's like, hey, look, you know, if you raise your kids right, they're not going to be gay. That's what he said, right? <laughs> and then he said, you know, just don't talk about it. Pastors shouldn't talk about this. No politics, right? And um, and at that church, um, I was only there a couple months, but I preached a message on persecution. And I just said, hey, if you, you know, if you're a Christian, 
and you say in any kind of public setting that homosexuality is wrong, you're going to get persecuted. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the pastor's daughters were in my group and they got so offended by that. They got mm-hmm. so offended. They, um, I, I wasn't there, but other leaders in the church told me that during the whole small group time, they were being very forceful saying that homosexuality is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it, you know, and w- these are the pastor's daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the pastor believes that homosexuality is wrong. Yeah. It's just that he has a policy where he won't openly talk about it. Yeah. For those reasons. Cause we want, we want to help people who are struggling with it come in. Right. Yeah. But yeah. that's what I'm saying. You don't understand what you're doing. You're opening up your entire group to be influenced by the other side. If you do that. And that's what yeah. I've seen consistently again and again and again in many different churches and communities. Yeah. I can see what you're, where you're coming from. I can see like um, a pastor's heart that might like, be focused on shepherding maybe versus a teacher's heart that is like we need to make sure people are like believing truth mm-hmm. and maybe some of it has to do with like the tendencies of the different gifts or something you know mm-hmm. yeah. but but i could i could see both sides sorry yeah. i took it off in a direction because we were talking about legalism that's okay. and i <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's okay i mean if we're if we're honest like i just feel like the lgbt issue is so close to the center of what's going on with a lot of this stuff that it's okay that we spent, you know, the majority it, it, <laughs> that definitely dominated our conversation here. Um, that's fine. All right. Yeah. We are running out of time here. I want to give both of you an opportunity. Is there anything else that's on your heart to say on this issue that we feel like, man, this is really important, but we didn't get a chance to address it. Crystal. Yeah. Um, I think we had a lot of great points today. Honestly, I think um, just a lot of us are not trained very well doctrine wise and um yeah pastors have a really big role in that and um yeah great responsibility as well in terms of leading people and in terms of legalism and lawlessness um I think we separate the two because honestly like truth without love is not the gospel and grace without repentance is not the gospel right and I think a lot of times we are getting disillusioned within the church ourselves and um I think there needs to be a lot more boldness and clarity as to where we stand, because I think that's why a lot of us are getting a little bit more confused these days is because the pastors themselves are, are not very clear. I mean, I've experienced the Korean church. I've experienced um, multi-ethnic church now. And um, yeah, I, I just feel like both experiences, um, pastors are not as clear as they should be um, in terms of where they stand and where the Bible stands, where God stands. And I think if there's clarity there, then there'll be clarity within the congregation. And I understand the heart, you know, the heart is um, we want the masses to be saved, right? but the truth mm-hmm. is the path is narrow and um, there is objective truth and people will be offended <laughs> and people will divert away. And that's, something we can't control and that's something that we can only pray over and hope that they'll come back right and I I don't think that we should fear um just man's judgment upon the church and I think we should continue to be grounded in the truth and pursue that truth and yeah declare that there is objective truth (laughs) because that's fading away (laughs) yeah yeah well said yeah Julie anything you'd like to say um 
I mean, I've always sort of been interested in why people are leaving the church. Like, you know, my senior year, I, I wrote that thesis and interviewed like 10 people on why they left the church and wrote this like 80 page paper, but wow. um, trying to find common threads. And everyone had a different reason that they stated on why they left the church. I think maybe one of the more common things was that there was some kind of hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And I think like whether um, a person states that it's because of LGBT issues or hypocrisy or the church being aligned with certain political parties or whatever it is, a lot of times it's they've been hurt, whether it's the tone of which someone communicated something, someone did something to them that they trusted, whatever it is, I feel like, um, I don't know, that's something to keep in mind in um, when we're, I think, communicating truth and when we're walking alongside people and um, that sometimes that breaks down all the barriers, you know, like when we minister to the heart, um, there's just been a lot of hurt, you know, because mm -hmm. humans are humans in the church and we just, you know, we're sinful and we hurt each other. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other stuff going on too, but it's so complex. I don't even know. God, we need help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Julie, I think that's really well said. I think you're, I think you're right on. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. You know, maybe we could do a part two sometime and, and get to the 10 other things we could have talked about in this discussion today. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your heart for, you know, this issue. And yeah, at the end of the day, our hope is that, you know, we can really help people um, continue to follow the Lord. Um, and it is, it's hard. Like following Jesus is not easy. You know, it's, it's very difficult and you do have to go through, um, so many things about you have to trust him at times where you don't understand and you've got to forgive people who wrong you, you know, and, um, and then you got to navigate all this stuff in our generation. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff and it's very difficult. So mm -hmm. totally understand. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks.